Ah, Sunday again. Good morning to you. Good morning. And how are you today? I'm doing good. No complaints. No complaints. You had a rock'em sock'em weekend. Busy one. Yeah, Busy very one much indeed. so. Busy one indeed. Three great games of hockey down at uh, Mary Brown Center between the Growlers and the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. It was a uh, it was an awesome weekend. I got to say, some of the best hockey we saw all weekend. Yeah, great name and or all season. Sorry. And the sports will continue today for you. Yeah, for big sure. sports day. Big, <laughs> this is your day. Yeah, big big. You always say that this is your Super Bowl. Well, literally, yeah. it is the Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl Sunday. The Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers going head-to-head later tonight. Um, pump for the game. Pump for the food. It'll be on late because it's happening in Vegas, right? Yeah, well, Super Bowl is always on pretty late anyways uh, because it says like an 8.30 start time. And then there's the intro and then there's wow. the anthems and then there's the introductions of the players and everybody else and all the other, you know, hoopla, the, hoopla. the jet flyover <laughs> right. and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't so know. <laughs> the game will actually start probably like 9.30. I don't know the exact time. Um doesn't really make much of a difference because it's going to be late. Yeah. It is going to be late, <laughs> as it uh, it typically is. And then, you know, you get the really long extended halftime show. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty late by the time the game wraps up. But I think we're in for a good Super Bowl. Excellent, excellent. And you know what? It was a busy week news-wise yeah, as well. very much so. A lot of talk about weather and the school systems. And uh, what else? The Premier was overseas. Yeah, and uh, we'll have quite a conversation yeah. on all of that about what he was up to over there. Uh, Dent care back in the news, tech, marine Atlantic, you name it. It was a, uh, a busy week indeed. It certainly was. So let's batten down the hatches here now, Ben. And, you know, if you're listening and you're awake, sure, grab yourself a cup of coffee. Some tea. Maybe you're a croissant eater. Oh, there you go. Piece huh? of toast, maybe Piece biscuits. Toast. Join us right here on the best of your VOCM mornings. Good Sunday morning and welcome to the best of your VOCM mornings. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Jerry Lynn Mackey. Well, Premier Andrew Fury recently returned from a tourism mission in London, England, and a stint in the United Arab Emirates where he attended a healthcare recruitment event and met with the Canada UAE Business Council to discuss tech and clean energy. Premier Andrew Fury, once he returned back to the island, joined us on the program on Thursday morning. Let's talk a little bit about about the London Tourism Meeting. What were those discussions all about? Sure, so we were uh, able to attend a fairly large uh, destination and tourism show being hosted in London, which uh, brought together uh, tourism operators uh, from all around the world, uh, particularly operators uh, on, in, from the UK, uh, to look at uh, destinations around the world. So. It's important uh, for Newfoundland and Labrador to have a presence there. We are very fortunate to have uh, partners in hospitality, Newfoundland and Labrador, Destination St. John's, the St. John's Airport Authority, all there with us to showcase what Newfoundland and Labrador has to offer. And this year, we have something uh, extra special to offer, something that has been desirable Uh, for uh, tourism operators, travel agents in the United Kingdom uh, for quite some time. And that's the addition, of course, of the direct flight uh, to uh, from London uh, to St. John's, uh, operated by WestJet. So what we heard loud and clear there from uh, from high end uh, travel agents for people looking to add Newfoundland and Labrador as a destination uh, that could be offered uh, to their to their uh, clientele 
was the major barrier in the past has been uh, reliable aircraft, reliable uh, routes, and uh, it was met with true excitement and enthusiasm uh, that there was now a direct route that would allow them to offer this product uh, to their clientele. And it, I, it was incredible enthusiasm, uh, Jerlyn. I have to say, it was it was an excellent trip. It was well received, and we're very fortunate to have uh, WestJet offer this this particular product. And Premier, how were your efforts received? I mean, it, was there a keen awareness of the allure of our province? There was indeed, a cer- certainly in the backdrop of our historical context and our relationship with the United Kingdom and the Crown, uh, there was uh, there is a heightened awareness of Newfoundland and Labrador, um, and there is there is a curiosity um, that drives. Uh, people to investigate uh, this rock in the middle of the North Atlantic, but it was always met with the barrier of travel. In 2024, people want um, access. Uh, They want sustainable, reliable access, and that was a barrier. Uh, And now with the direct route, it is certainly, uh, it certainly eliminates that barrier and opens up uh, the ability for people to uh, explore what they already know is a good product. Uh, but you know, it's a competitive marketplace. Uh, people have all sorts of bucket list destinations that they want to explore. And adding this route uh, really puts us at the top of mind for many in the United Kingdom. It, Geraldine, it also opens up business opportunities. For example, I met with Rio Tinto and her head office in London when we were there, and they were even excited uh, about uh, about the direct flight. Uh, in talking to business people in, in the in the UAE, uh, they were excited equally about having a direct flight. Uh, people who have traveled here before, going to Toronto and then reverting back, never seemed to make sense. And it always offers it always creates the potential for travel disruption. So met with incredible enthusiasm. I'm speaking with Premier Andrew Fury about his recent trip abroad. And from London, you moved to the United Arab Emirates. What was the primary focus for your meetings there? Well, we had uh, two main two main areas of focus. The first, of course, was on healthcare uh, recruitment, and the second was on um, shared priorities and opportunities within the energy sector, particularly in this time of transition. Uh, with respect to healthcare, uh, very uh, first of all, very proud of, of all our healthcare professionals here in Newfoundland and Labrador, and we certainly value that incredible hard work that they put in day in and day out to look after Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. But we also know that there is uh, there is a void there that needs to be filled, as there are as there is in every province across the country. And so uh, going there to uh, with a team uh, from the Department of Health uh, and Immigration Services here in, in, in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, we were able to showcase the province and, and what it has to offer uh, for people who may be transitory in their, uh, in their medical uh, profession, people who are looking uh, to uh, exit the UAE, um, people who are looking uh, to establish a family in North America, and uh, I mean, we were met again with incredible enthusiasm and, and excitement. Um, in fact, uh, thanks to the hard work of, of the team of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians who arrived home today, I believe, uh, 63 offers were made uh, to nurses, a uh, half of which of whom already have all the qualifications that are desired here in Newfoundland and Labrador in Canada. Uh, and we can begin the immigration process for them. We also offered uh, two pharmacy technicians and three radiation technician jobs. Uh, so, uh, an 
just a, an overwhelming success. Um, you know, globally, those sound like small numbers, but of course, we know here in Newfoundland and Labrador, those numbers make a material and substantive uh, difference uh, to operating our hospitals and providing the care that people need so desperately here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Premier, of the second part, Jerry Lane, is, is was the energy front. If you or if you have a question on the healthcare, happy to answer that, and then move into to the energy space. Yes, if we could, yeah. Some healthcare workers have raised concerns about the province attending a recruitment event in Dubai when they'd like to see the focus on retention. How important is it to still be at recruitment events like the one you just attended? Well, we know that retaining the healthcare professionals here in Newfoundland and Labrador is fundamental and is a top priority and has been uh, for my government. If you look at uh, the incentives that we've put in place, uh, we certainly uh, know uh, how important it is. And, and it's evident, by the way, evidence uh, supports that people are availing of these incentives and we are uh, no longer losing medical professionals, but adding medical professionals, homegrown medical professionals. Uh, here in Newfoundland and Labrador, including since April 1st of last year, 450 nurses, 80 doctors. Uh, but we also know that there is a gap uh, in in the system that needs to be filled. And so while we value and we'll work with and we'll continue to have the have national leading incentives to retain Newfoundlanders and Labradorians here in our province, we also must look elsewhere to fill the void uh, from people who are trained away. And so it, while we value, of course, above everything else, those who are here now, we know that there is a gap and we need to fill those that gap potentially with people who are trained away. So you need to be able to, you can't do this uh, in a linear fashion. You need to be able to do it in parallel. It's a complex uh, problem that uh, does not require simplistic solutions. And Premier, you did mention the clean energy conversation. We're at the eight o'clock mark. What can you tell us in thirty seconds well, or less? Oh, well, this is the most exciting. This is one of the most exciting uh, spaces, and I'd love to be able to uh, talk about it at length a bit more. Uh, the UAE has a very similar energy profile as Newfoundland and Labrador, albeit with a significantly different fiscal capacity. They have about 30% of their GDP is, 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 is from oil and gas products, um, and they're looking to diversify. They're, so we're very similar in our approach. They have trillions, Jerry Lynn, trillions with a T of capital that is being looking, that they're looking to deploy around the world to renewable, sustainable energy products. And it was important to get in front of uh, their leaders uh, on this file in particular to let them know that Newfoundland and Labrador has all the key ingredients for hydrogen moving forward. And we will be principally an export source uh, for uh, alternative fuels of the future. While owning and supporting our oil and gas today, we are decarbonizing our, our oil and gas products today while investing in the energy of the future. And that was very consistent and welcomed and i think will i hope will bear fruit of investments and capital being deployed here in the province from our friends and partners in the middle east and that's my conversation with premier andrew fury he joined us on your vocm mornings back on thursday ben well another big topic this week access to dental care well it'll soon become a reality for many more canadians the new national dental care program is designed to provide coverage initially to approximately 4.5 million people including seniors those living with disabilities 
and children under the age of 18 who lack private insurance. Nicole Kiley is a dental hygienist and owner of the Dental Hygiene Studio in Logie Bay. She joined us in the VOCM studios. What was your initial reaction, or what is your initial reaction, really, to the National Dental Care Program? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it feels like a dream. It's something that I think has been spoken about, but it did seem almost like... On a, well, I didn't expect to see it in my career, to be honest. So, yeah, we're thrilled. It's been needed for a long time. No denying that, for yeah. sure. Dental care is part of your overall health, as I have learned. But are, are you getting many inquiries from potential patients already? Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's a it's a there's a lot of moving parts to the program. So I think there is some initial confusion. And the government does have a website, so you can go to the CRA website. It's also easy to find it if you type in Canadian Dental Care Plan. But the truth is, it's a lot of information, and most people can't really process it to figure out what the next steps are or what to expect. Yeah, where are they running into confusion or, I guess, a little bit of a challenge? So I think what I've experienced is that, so they're currently rolling out um, the applications, and that's phased by ages. And there's... Um, I think some, not necessarily misinformation, but I think people misunderstand that they think the program is already rolling out. So people who are eligible for the program right now, based on the age groups, are actually getting letters in the mail to apply to the program, not to access care. It's pretty clearly written on the website that access to care won't start at least until May. And I'm sure that there, you know, there's potential that could change, but currently that's what's on the website, is that in May people will be able to access care. That's an important detail to keep in mind as well. Nicole, do you expect a much greater need for dental staffing? Oh my goodness. I mean, that's one of the conversations right now. Like you said, there are going to be millions of people who now have dental benefits who are going to be looking for possibly somewhere to go. Um, So one of the things, one of the conversations is a lot of our dental offices are already kind of not necessarily at max capacity, but certainly don't have the room to welcome immediately a lot of new um, patients. And I think that really gives a great opportunity for dental hygienists to own clinics in Newfoundland, Labrador, and across the country. There's going to be lots of ways that we can help increase access to care um, by accommodating at least some of the, the patients for preventive dental care. Do you have any concerns yourself, you know, as May gets closer and closer and more of the plan rolls out that you'll be able to meet the demand? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's still, so as the dental providers, we don't have all the information either. Um, We have what is written on the website and also we were able to attend information sessions. So there's still a lot of questions. Um, Participation in the program isn't mandatory. You can't assume that every single office is actually accepting the program. So dental professionals will be offered the opportunity to participate um, and some of the decision making that could go into accepting the program is their ability to welcome new patients um, and also there's some information we haven't received yet like the the unfun stuff like the fee guides um, which are traditionally lower for social programs and every province has its own fee guide so then this program has also its own fee guide per province. So dental professionals don't yet have a whole lot of information. Um, We do have a little bit on how to submit claims. So that's been good to know. But I think a lot of us are still awaiting some information so that we can make the right decision for what's best for our clinics. 
Well, turn on my microphone here. I, I didn't realize that. So dental dental facilities or operations will be able to choose if they want to offer this care program or not. Yeah, and I mean that kind of sounds, you know, maybe off putting at face value. But the truth is, not everyone can maybe accommodate like like the patient flow. Like there could be a lot that goes into that decision making process. So basically, the way it works is when somebody gets their letter to apply, and if you fall into the age category where you're like, oh, I I, I was, you know, I should have got mine last year. Um, to qualify, you would have to have your taxes filed for the year before. So that's one of them. Um, but when you apply, you will get a Sun Life card. So the children's dental program that rolled out last year was a lump sum payment. So people got a certain amount based on their income. With this one, they get a card. And as a dental provider, they will be able to give us that information and we submit it through insurance like we would other claims. So we're getting paid directly from, I guess, the government as opposed from um, like the lump sum payment. I'm having a conversation with Nicole Kylie, dental hygienist and owner of the Dental Hygiene Studio located in Logie Bay. Do you foresee that there will be clinics or, you know, operations across Canada that will that will choose not to offer? Yeah, I mean, especially initially if the information is not available to us. Right. That's kind of the angle. But don't get me wrong. We're also all really excited. I think even if an office chooses not to participate, we can all get on the same page and say, you know, this is a good thing. Um, but I think that one of the best examples of, and I don't want to overstep, this is my opinion. When a program gets rolled out and it's not yet fully backed yet, we get the situation like we have with childcare, which is a great example. I mean, it's great. There's all this access to childcare, but there's not enough to meet the demands. So it might just be that it takes a little bit of time for us to um, to, to kind of get prepared to accept the program. And as it rolls out, the government may be also kind of adjusting um, like their plan on how it rolls out to better suit the current climate. I, I see what you're saying there. How important is oral health to your overall health? I mean, how, how great is the need, really? I mean, here in Newfoundland, so, I mean, there's a lot of documented studies, and every day there's more investigation on how the health of your teeth and gums in your mouth affects your overhaul body. Um, so for some of the documented links are with poor oral health, like gingivitis and periodontitis. It can exacerbate um, health conditions like heart disease. It can create new conditions um, with like arthrosclerosis. I think there's some documentation there. Uh, also diabetes is difficult to manage. Um, it could increase a person's likelihood of uh, aspiration pneumonia, where they basically give themselves pneumonia from what is in their mouth. Um, and even just overall well-being, wellness, it's hard to feel good if your mouth isn't clean or if you're experiencing pain or the stress of anticipating pain and not being able to afford care. Like there's a lot of hardship. And in my experience volunteering at the gathering place, I mean, you talk to those people and some of their issues, their mental health issues escalated from dental pain because some people are just out of luck. Like none of our current social programs cover preventive care. So, I mean, that's not uncommon. There's lots of provinces. We have an amazing children's program until 13, but after that, there's a huge gap. And a lot of times those people aren't seeing, in a lot of cases, aren't seeing anyone until they have pain. Anyone who's had to have their wisdom teeth removed would understand exactly, what you're saying yes. loud and clear. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people will, will resonate with that. Do you think we'll be ready for it when it's time to start, you know, seeing patients? Do you think I mean, the system will be ready? I'm going to say no. I don't think the system will be ready. But I think we're excited to work with the government. And, and there's been cons consultation between um, the government 
about this program and the Canadian Dental Hygienist Association and the Dentist Association. So, I mean, everybody is trying to get in and, you know, everybody wants it. I want it to be amazing. I want it to roll out the whole length of the program because it is in phases. It's seniors first um, and people with disabilities, anyone who gets the disability tax credit, that's what was said to us in the information session. And then eventually it'll roll out that everybody could potentially have access to care if they meet the income thresholds which is incredible. I mean, that sounds like amazing. And that is dental hygienist and owner of the Dental Hygiene Studio in Logie Bay, Nicole Kiley, speaking all about the new National Dental Care Program. Well, we still have lots more to bring you on the best of your VOCM mornings. We'll have our local technologist, Kevin Andrews, join us for our tech talk coming up after these. Good Sunday morning and welcome back to the best of your VOCM mornings. I'm Jerry Lynn Mackey. And I'm Ben Murphy. And on this week's Tech Talk Tuesday, we talked about a lot of stuff and some pretty interesting stuff at that, like, wireless brain chip implants. <laughs> Spotify's concerns regarding the Online Streaming Act and ChatGPT's privacy violations. We had our resident technologist, Kevin Andrews, join us to break down all the news on Tech Talk Tuesday. Renowned for his ambitious ventures, we know Elon Musk's Neuralink has recently accomplished a significant milestone by successfully implanting its inaugural wireless brain chip into a human. Kevin, can you just provide details on this recent achievement? Shed some light on Musk's broader vision here and maybe if you can discuss the potential impact this technological feat might have on the future? Yeah, so, you know, Elon Musk's Neuralink has, has pulled off a pretty wild stunt by, by implanting a wireless brain chip into a person. Now, you know Musk, the guy behind SpaceX and, and Tesla, always cooking up some futuristic ideas. So Neuralink's goal is to connect our brains with computers, and, and this recent experiment is his way of uh, diving headfirst into this fringe science territory. Now, uh, this achievement involving a small brain chip inserted into a person's skull is claiming to be a game changer for treating paralysis and other brain-related issues. Now, now Musk is uh, saying that he envisions a future where humans and AI are able to communicate seamlessly through thoughts. Now, sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie, right? Well, you know, not everybody is sold on this idea. I mean, experts are raising eyebrows questioning, you know, how practical this brain-computer hookup really is. Sure, it's, it's cool to think about ordering a pizza with your mind, but, you know, is it worth the risk of having brain surgery just for that? Now, really, in the grand scheme of things, Neuralink is not the only player in this field. And, and Musk's vision of merging human brains with machines at this point uh, is a bit out there. And I think competitors are, are in the game, and the science community is trying to sort, sort of figure out these details. And it's really, it's, it's undeniably exciting, but, but, you know, whether it's genius or a bit crazy, well, that's still up for debate. I think one thing's for sure, though, Musk is never one to really shy away from the unconventional. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a bit of a freaky episode of Black Mirror or something that you see on Netflix. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> for sure. So, Kevin, switching gears a bit now, Spotify, the popular music streaming service, they're voicing concerns regarding the Online Streaming Act and a submission to the CRTC, suggesting that new regulatory fees might hike Canadian user prices or worse, cut support for local artists. So what are Spotify's concerns and how these changes might impact the Canadian music industry? So, you know, in their submission to the CRTC, Spotify uh, essentially raised a red flag about the possibility of new fees coming into play. And according to Spotify, if these fees are implemented, uh, it could lead to two major outcomes, either a hike in prices for Canadian users 
or a reduction in support for local artists, including those from the indigenous communities. Now, this concern points to sort of a delicate balance between the business side of streaming service, the regulatory landscape, and the overall health of Canada's music scene. And and the first thing to keep in mind, I think, is, is the potential price hike for Canadian users, which could have a direct impact on the subscribers' pockets. I mean, Spotify being a really widely used platform is not just a music service for individuals, it's also a significant player in supporting artists and the broader music ecosystem. And if prices go up, it you know it could affect the engagement or, or even lead to subscription cancellations. And, and this could have sort of a ripple effect on the revenue that flows back into the music industry now. Uh, on the other hand, the notion of cutting support for local and indigenous artists is particularly concerning too. I mean, Spotify claims to already contribute significantly to Canadian artists and, and with double royalties and increased earnings for many. And so if there's a reduction in support, emerging and, and independent artists who often rely on streaming platforms to showcase their work might face challenges in gaining you know, visibility and sustaining their careers. Now, with all that in mind, this situation really underscores, I think, the larger debate around how streaming platforms, uh, which have become major players in the music industry, balance their profitability with their responsibility to support and promote local talent. So, you know, it's my opinion that it's not just about Spotify. It's a broader conversation about the role of the streaming platforms and how they shape the cultural landscape of a country. You know, it's a complex issue that requires careful consideration and collaboration between, I think, industry stakeholders, regulators, and the streaming platforms. Not really something that has an easy answer. And finally, from Spotify to ChatGPT, Italian regulators looking into OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT, for violating European Union privacy rules. Italy's Data Protection Authority banned ChatGPT in Italy last year, stating it breached the general data protection regulation and raised privacy concerns. So, Kevin, can you explain the privacy issues identified by Italian regulators and how ChatGPT is addressing them within the framework of this GDPR? Yeah, I mean, some good questions there. I mean, Italian regulators discovered privacy issues within ChatGPT, including exposed user data, uh, age verification problems, and concerns about data collection legality. Now, uh, OpenAI, having 30 days to respond, claims uh, GDPR compliance, uh, emphasizing privacy safeguards and minimizing data. Now, the ban was lifted after OpenAI met with the proper conditions addressing privacy and age verification concerns. Uh, globally, though, you know, AI systems are getting more attention, um, you know, seen in the U.S. FTC investigation and really all around the new EU's Artificial Intelligence Act development. Now, this increased focus leads to talks about global AI rules and considerations for countries like Canada here to ensure responsible and private AI use. One would only hope that, you know, the policies and the rules and the AI regulations are crafted really with careful consideration. And I think, you know, they need to be balancing innovation with ethical use and privacy protection. Now, I think the key takeaway here is is that uh, these steps should really create really a safe and transparent AI world for everybody. Uh, Really, though, I think, you know, we'll have to wait and see how that all works out. And that is our resident technologist, Kevin Andrews, joining us for Tech Talk Tuesday. Jerry Lynn? Well, Marine Atlantic ferry crossings on the Gulf have been on and off. I guess more on, but they've definitely seen their fair share of cancellations and delays throughout this season. Parts of Cape Breton were under a state of emergency last week, and the Marine Atlantic ferry terminal in Sydney was closed. 
Daryl Mercer is the communications director with Marine Atlantic. He joined us on your VOCM mornings on the heels of that big storm that shut down parts of Nova Scotia. What's the latest on the ferry crossings? Well, the positive news is that uh, we did resume crossings overnight. Uh, it's sort of a last-minute decision uh, based upon the ability to uh, to move traffic through North Sydney. Obviously, there's a lot of snow down in uh, in North Sydney, so we did have some troubles uh, keeping up with the snow removal and trying to place it so that it wasn't interfering with traffic. But we were successful uh, late last night in managing to open up some of those laneways. So we did put a commercial crossing on last night, uh, moved a lot of that live commercial that was, was at the terminal. And hopefully we're going to return to normal operations today. But uh, I can certainly tell you in, in Cape Breton especially, there's a, a lot of snow down. So the uh, the Department of Highways in Nova Scotia certainly has their hands full trying to keep up with the uh, the road infrastructure and clearing it. Is there much of a backlog of commercial traffic right now? Uh, no backlog, and uh, simply because uh, with the state of emergency that's in Cape Breton, a lot of the transport trucks had some difficulty getting to uh, to our terminal. Uh, we were actually shut down for a period of time yesterday at the terminal because of, uh, of the volume of snow and, and the road network that wasn't cleared. So I think a lot of the commercial customers decided to shelter in place, whether they were in Halifax or further on. They just never made it into Cape Breton. So uh, I'm sure we'll start to see that traffic trickle in uh, throughout today and into tomorrow. Has it been a particularly bad season up until now for delays and cancellations? When we look at the, the numbers from the past few years, uh, up to this point, there seems to be a consistency. Uh, obviously, it's, it's, there's a big change from what we've seen over the past couple of decades. Uh, the climate is, is showing uh, changing weather patterns. We're seeing more frequent storms. We're seeing higher winds. We're seeing more precipitation. And I use the example of... Uh, the road washouts on Western New- in Western Newfoundland uh, a couple of years ago, that was a once-in-a-hundred-year storm. And in the following year, we had Hurricane Fiona, which caused devastation. So it seems that these storm systems are much more frequent now. This year, what we're seeing are storm systems that are on a weekly basis. So it seems like since December, every week we're having a storm system with significant winds and, and, and seas that, uh, that's causing disruptions to our service. When we look at 2021, 2022, that time frame, uh, you know, we had bad months. So one year, December, was a really bad month. We saw a lot of cancellations. Another year, it was January, where we saw a big cluster of cancellations. But this year, the consistency of the storms is what's causing us problems. So every week, there's a disruption, which is having a significant impact on our customers. You know, believe me, anyone you speak to may not be following Marine Atlantic as closely as I am. So I definitely can see where you're coming from. There have been on and off uh, cancellations and, and the weather has been the major factor. Uh, is the bulk of your traffic this time of year, is it commercial traffic? Yeah, it's primarily commercial traffic. We see uh, an increase in passenger traffic in the summer, obviously, but uh, also around the holidays. So around Christmas, we, we see a big influx of uh, passengers and then, of course, uh, they return back to home during uh, the early New Year. So outside of that, in the winter, January, February, March, it's uh, a lot of commercial traffic that's moving product to and from Newfoundland. So uh, that's that's the biggest bulk right now. And when you look at the passenger traffic, I think most people look at the weather conditions that they experience. And it's so unpredictable, not only through Newfoundland. You could have a sunny day in St. John's, and by the time you get to Port of Asque, it could be a, a snowstorm. And then it could be a beautiful day in Newfoundland. And then when you get to Cape Breton, then same thing. You, the weather condition can change, and they're unpredictable. So 
I think unless people have uh, a desire to travel or they, they must travel at any given time, they, they usually don't use the winter season uh, for that purpose. But our commercial traffic, they're vital to uh, and, and an essential service to, to move product to and from Newfoundland. So we do see that throughout the year. I'm speaking with Daryl Mercer, Communications Director at Marine Atlantic. Uh, Daryl, you mentioned that there was a lot of snow at the North Sydney Terminal. Are things back to normal there now, or do you ex- when do you expect it will be? Well, I, I wouldn't say it's completely back to normal. Uh, the positive piece is that the snow seems to have stopped. Um, that's allowing us to catch up. But with the amount of snow that has fallen, we need to find a place to put it. So... Right now, our teams at the terminal are, are trying to find the spaces that they can push the snow so that uh, it, can, it can get out of the, uh, the traffic lanes. Uh, but, of course, you know, there's a lot of transport trucks that will be coming in, a lot of passenger traffic. So when you have that volume of snow, simply trying to move it and, and get it out of the way is going to take some time. But our vessels did depart uh, overnight, and uh, we're hoping that we'll be back on schedule uh, throughout today. So uh, if anybody does have travel plans, it's certainly encouraged them to continue to monitor the Marine Atlantic website and any commercial, any of our customers that have been uh, impacted will be, uh, will be advised of any changes to their sailing time. No worries. I'm tracking closely. Daryl, I also wanted to ask you about the bridge on Terminal Service Road that leads to Marine Atlantic's Port of Basque Terminal, how it's been closed. Is there any update there on whether that will be repaired or when? Well, I know that the uh, the Department of uh, Transportation has has uh, been doing some work on that bridge. So, uh, obviously, it's it's a piece of highway infrastructure that belongs to the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. So, it's not accessible right now. There are some safety concerns that they have raised. So, I'm sure they're going to continue with their efforts to uh, assess the bridge and uh, and they'll make any uh, any plans that they have in place uh, going into the summer season. And that's my conversation with Communications Director at Marine Atlantic, Daryl Mercer. Over to you, Ben. Well, from marine travel to air travel after an exit last year in an attempt to reconfigure some routes across Canada, WestJet is returning to Deer Lake Regional Airport. Direct flights to Toronto and Calgary will be offered on a seasonal basis with a first flight scheduled for May 16th. Tammy Priddle is President and CEO of Deer Lake Regional Airport. She joined us on Thursday morning. Your reaction to WestJet returning to Washington? IDF. Uh, well, we're really excited, obviously. Uh, when WestJet announced that they were not going to be flying into Deer Lake in 2023, uh, we obviously, you know, were very concerned about that and uh, have been in conversation with them about uh, coming back to Deer Lake ever since that time. So really excited to see that some of this hard work has paid off and uh, and WestJet is returning and, and not only returning with uh, Toronto Pearson, but adding a new route on to Calgary. Yeah, and I remember going back before Christmas, uh, a story here on VOCM, you said you were very optimistic about WestJet's return. Why was it so important to stay optimistic during this period that they would be back? Uh, because I think, uh, you know, the community and certainly our tourism partners, accommodators, tour operators, uh, and, you know, general public wanted to see WestJet back into Deer Lake. Uh, it is a national airline and a network across Canada and around the world. And there are lots of uh, guests that, uh, you know, prefer to fly with WestJet. And that is their uh, the brand that they're um you know, comfortable with and know about. So we wanted to make sure that we were offering and providing all the options that we could to uh, those that want to travel in and out of our region. Tammy, just how big a hole did WestJet leave when they stopped servicing Deer Lake Regional Airport? 
Uh, well, you know, we did have Swoop, which uh, is owned by the WestJet Group of Companies uh, at that time until uh, the summer when they announced that they were not going to be flying Swoop uh, any longer into 2020 at the end of 2023. Um, so, you know, it did help to close that gap a little bit, but it certainly did impact us. And uh, in 2023, we were just shy of returning to our pre-COVID levels at 93% of our passengers. We had three months there, June, September, and October, where we exceeded 2019 numbers, but it definitely had an impact on our rate of recovery. So having them back this summer, along with some of the other uh, increase the capacity that we're seeing going into the schedule for 2024, we do think that we will return to pre-COVID levels uh, in 2024, which is really important. You think about how long, you know, we have gone through um, the pandemic and how it impacted us and, and how long it's taken us to recover. And during that period of time, obviously, you know, we are a volume-driven uh, business and, uh, and it is about passenger traffic. So uh, that's really important for our recovery and for investment in our future plans. We're speaking with Tammy Priddle, president and CEO of Deer Lake Regional Airport. And, and Tammy, you mentioned there uh, an increased service to Deer Lake Regional Airport before this summer, hoping to attract more airlines to the region? Um, well, you know, we're always talking to uh, other airlines. It's an ongoing process. and uh, But, you know, we're really fortunate that we do have Sunwing returning in March. Uh, PAL is very active uh, in our airport. And, you know, with all our provincial and interprovincial connectivity, also connection into New Brunswick. And then Air Canada is actually increasing capacity. Uh, they're upgaging the aircraft on our Montreal route. And then we will have two flights a day to Halifax and two flights a day to Toronto. So all of that together uh, certainly, you know, indicates that this will be a very uh, successful year and uh, we're ready for it. Uh, I know everyone in our airport community is excited about this news. Uh, it certainly has a ripple effect throughout uh, the community and helps support our tourism industry and, uh, and support and grow our economy. Yeah, just how critical is air access to the west coast of the province? Oh, my goodness. It's absolutely critical. You think about, you know, obviously we live on an island and, uh, you know, we only are able to get off uh, by ferry or by air. And so having capacity and opportunity for people to uh, come into our our province and to leave our province is critical for business development, uh, but also critical for, you know, social uh, connection with all of our family and friends that live around the world uh, and uh, for our tourism industry. And, and on the West Coast, we have, I think, you know, world-class uh, tourism product, uh, and that's all year round. And we're working to grow our shoulder seasons, uh, and having air access is vital to, uh, to see that happen. And Tammy, the new owner of the Stephenville Airport, Carl Diamond, he's hoping to reestablish commercial airline services at the facility in Stephenville by the end of the year. What is the Deer Lake Regional Airport's thought on this? Would this be a, a positive for the region? Uh, I think, you know, anytime we increase air access in our province, regardless of, you know, who's doing that, it is, uh, is positive for the entire province. Uh, you know, and Deer Lake has our goals that we're working on. Every airport uh, across Canada and around the world would have their goals and strategic plans of how they want to grow their business. Uh, we're really focused on, on doing that and ensuring that Deer Lake is in the best position for us to be successful uh, and continue to be successful and grow. And that is Tammy Priddle, president and CEO of Deer Lake Regional Airport. WestJet returning to Deer Lake Regional Airport. First flights for Toronto and Calgary scheduled for May 16th. 
We still have lots more to bring you here on the best of your VOCM morning. Going to talk more about that shipwreck and about the Kids Eat Smart Foundation Kids Eat Smart Night at the Newfoundland Growlers game coming up on March 2nd. Stay with us right here on the best of your VOCM mornings. Good Sunday morning and welcome back to the best of your VOCM mornings. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Jerry Lynn Mackey. Well, let's talk about that shipwreck that washed ashore of Cape Ray Beach. It's captured the attention and imagination of people in the community and well beyond that, really. The province's chief archaeologist, Jamie Brake, has said that the possibility of preserving the wreck is entirely in the hands of the people in the community. Ann Osmond, the chair for the local service district in Cape Ray, already looking at ways to preserve it herself. She started to go fund me to help recover, preserve, and tell the story of this mysterious wreck. We had Ann Osmond join us from Cape Ray back on Wednesday. So this mysterious ship that showed up on your shores, it's really attracting a great deal of attention. Yes, it really is. It's gone worldwide and um, it's awesome to see. It's a wreck of about 125 feet, approximately, and it weighs tons. But uh, I think it has a story to tell. And after Hurricane Fiona and COVID-19 and everything over the last few years, just how welcome a development is the arrival of the the wreck of this mysterious ship? Uh, The excitement in the area is beyond. Uh, What we need now, after Fiona and even after COVID, we need a boost, an economic boost, to uh, bring this coast back to life and uh, show people, yes, we're here, you know, type of thing. And the tourism industry would boom, as well as the whole southwest coast, I think, with this fine. I think uh, this ship landed on this coast for a reason it has a story to tell and we're about to uh, with the help of the officials uh, with the photographs and the uh, things that they have collected that being tested I think that we can make this happen and give this coast the economic boost it needs Uh, we're looking at taking portions of it to place in our local lighthouse museum and uh, once all of the information comes back from government and probably find out the origin of this that there will be a storyboard erected along with some of the parts of the boat and we will tell a story and keep it here in our community and we'll also share because right now Port of Ass, Cheeseman Park and Cape Ray is in a just a little circle. And I think that this would bring the boom to the southwest coast that we need. And you have started a GoFundMe for the wreck. What do you hope the money raised through this GoFundMe will allow you to accomplish? Uh, well, as all volunteers, we need funds to, we need equipment. We need, uh, like, these pieces are huge. Like, uh, not a few few pounds or a few hundred pounds and we need equipment to uh, get it transported to where we need it and this is going to be costly. Now we understand that the wreck itself 
is almost impossible to move. But we're saying that no, it's not. And we're going to try and, like I say, get something for the whole Southwest Coast. And how expensive an endeavor is it likely to be to recover, transport, and preserve this wreck? Do you have any idea? It's going to be very expensive. Uh, I heard one quote the other day, probably it might take millions. But we're not looking for millions. We're just looking for funding, like I say, as we're volunteers. We're just looking for funding to get something erected so people can enjoy it. People can come and see what we have to offer on this coast. We're speaking with Ann Osmond, the chair of the local service district in Cape Ray. And and lots of interest there from community members in the rec to take this on as well? Oh, yes, there is, yes. Uh, like, there's been several, like, been down around the rec daily and passing along all the information. But, like I say, once the photographs and everything is all done by government officials, they I was talking to them yesterday, and they are going to pass along all the information they have and some of the uh, artifacts they have taken from the wreck will be placed in our local museum with a story to tell. So, Anne, how can people help out? Uh, now we have a GoFundMe on the go. Uh, I think they can donate to that and let us try to preserve history and find out the origin of this boat. And like Newfoundland, there is many wrecks along the coast, even from Cape Bray. Like with Cape Bray being the end of the French shore, it's always been fishing vessels and and big boats coming down along. And there's many wrecks on this coast and it has to be explored. And that is Ben Murphy's conversation with Ann Osmond. She's the chair of the local service district in Cape Ray, talking about the possibility of preserving that shipwreck that washed up on the shores of Cape Ray on the 20th of January. It was, so it's been there. Well, it's been there longer than that, but it's, <laughs> it's revealed itself as of the 20th. Ben? The Kids Eat Smart Foundation says fundraising efforts are more important than ever this year as the cost of supplying 46,000 meals a day to school-aged children across the province has increased by 68% since 2023. Kids Eat Smart is partnering with Hebron and the Newfoundland Growlers to raise money for school breakfast programs. $5 from every Growlers ticket sold for Saturday, March 2nd, will go towards the campaign for breakfast. Selena Stoyles is executive director of the Kids Eat Smart Foundation, Newfoundland and Labrador. She joined us on Thursday morning. What is the new campaign for breakfast? Yeah, so Ben, we did launch our campaign for breakfast and this campaign is supporting our children and their breakfast clubs in Newfoundland and Labrador. And as you just shared, uh, we are now serving this year 46,000 meals every school day to children and youth in Newfoundland and Labrador in our 200, <clears throat> excuse me, 276 Kids Eat Smart Clubs. So we're going to ensure that all the children and youth who come to school have breakfast at no cost to their child or their family by continuing to have this fundraising campaign um, to financially secure our program. So, Selena, with 46,000 meals a day and we know costs are rising for just about everything, how great is the need right now in schools? 
we know families are struggling and every school day we see it. And like you just shared, we've gone from serving 40,000 to 46,000 meals every day. So we're experiencing a real uptake in the number of children availing of our breakfast program. And you know what, this is a real issue. And right now more than ever, we need to financially support our program. So that's why we're launching our breakfast for camp, our campaign for breakfast, um, so that anyone who can help, um, whether it's a gift, whether it's supporting your local school, and as you just shared, we're having a Kids Eat Smart Night on March the 2nd uh, at the Mary Brown Center, and we're partnering with the Growlers for an amazing fun night for people to come out, have fun, and support the program. And the Newfoundland Growlers also provided a $5,000 donation to kick things off yesterday. How far does that money go? Absolutely. Um, Like you just shared, Ben, we're delighted and excited to be partnering with the Growlers. And like every year, we partner with our donors and our sponsors and, of course, all our volunteers who support our program in our school community. We could not do it without them. So this campaign will run all the school year, again, to ensure that every child and youth who comes to school has access to food and has breakfast. And by having this fundraising campaign, it's at no cost to the child or their family. And yesterday, um, member of the Newfoundland Growlers front office, Glenn Stanford, he made that donation and he also issued a challenge to other businesses and other teams and whatnot right across the province to match that donation or at least come to the table with a donation of their own. Did you start to see that uptick pretty quickly yesterday? Oh, Ben, we have, and as you just shared, you're right, along with Hebron being our presenting sponsor and the Newfoundland Growlers, we are reaching out to all of our sponsors, supporters, donors, and partners. And if anybody is listening in your community and who would like to help, we're asking you to reach out to us. Reach out to kidseatsmart.ca or reach out to me or anyone in our team uh, at 709-722-1996, and we can share how you can help. We're speaking with Selena Stoyles, Executive Director of the Kids Eat Smart Foundation, Newfoundland and Labrador. And Selena, why is it so important that kids can go to school and have that judgment-free breakfast? All, every time that uh, breakfast is served in all of our schools, it's what we call universal, but what that means is totally inclusive. So for whatever reason a child or youth comes to school to have breakfast, it's there and it's available. We all know the benefits that, you know, when they have breakfast, they're able to concentrate, you know, provide them with energy and fuel for their day. It keeps them healthy and strong. And most importantly, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. We also know that children have to come to school. They don't have a choice. So our goal is to ensure that every child and youth in Newfoundland and Labrador has breakfast when they come to school. And Selena, final details on Kids Eat Smart Night with the Growlers and how people can get their tickets to support the new campaign. Absolutely. Uh, Whether it's to donate or to purchase your tickets for our Kids Eat Smart Night on March the 2nd, go to kidseatsmart.ca or give us a call at 709-722-1996 and we will share with you how you can help. And that is Executive Director of the Kids Eat Smart Foundation, Newfoundland and Labrador, Selena Stoyles. $5 from every Growler's ticket sold for Saturday, March 2nd, goes towards the campaign for breakfast. Just like that, our time is up here on the best of your VOCM mornings. Woo, I release you to the day of watching sports, <laughs> Ben. Have a great day. Thank and you, you. we won't see you tomorrow, nope. will we? Nope. Not here tomorrow. We'll there be back go. Tuesday morning. Going to enjoy the Super Bowl for the first time in four years. <laughs> so, I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Jerry Lynn Mackey. Have a safe and happy Super Bowl Sunday. I'm easy.
like so.